This is the AOS Career Podcast, part of the Bone Bee Orthopedic Podcast channel. The series is hosted by the chairs of the AOS Resident Assembly and features conversations on professional development and growth opportunities within the field of musculoskeletal healthcare. Hi, I'm Daniel Cognetti, Vice Chair of the AOS Resident Assembly and the host of this episode of the AOS Career Podcast. This episode was recorded in March at the AOS annual meeting with Dr. Andrew German. It is part two of our influencer series, where we speak to leaders in orthopedics about what it takes to become an influencer, creating positive change in our field. Hope you enjoy. I'm thrilled to be here live at the AOS annual meeting with Dr. Andrew German, an orthopedic surgeon, educator, and winner of this year's AOS Tipton Leadership Award. Dr. German has been a leader and advocate for medical professionals for more than 40 years, and was one of only two orthopedic surgeons to be named as president of the American Medical Association, a position he held from 2016 to 2017. We're honored to be here speaking with him today. Dr. German, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. So let's get started from the beginning. Born and raised in New York, trained somewhat in New York. Can you tell us about your early influences and what got you into the career path that you're in? My career path was a series of accidents, and that's okay. I think that if there's a take-home message from all of this, it's to go with the flow and just take advantage of opportunities when they present themselves. I grew up in the suburbs of New York City. My dad was a radiologist, and he dropped dead on a tennis court when I was age nine. So assumption and probably a great deal of pressure from the family that I would follow in his footsteps and I would become a physician. And of course, I did the only thing that a child of the 60s would do. I rebelled against that and decided to go into science rather than medicine. I started in a graduate program in immunology went to medical school with the assumption that I was going to study autoimmune diseases as either a hematologist or a rheumatologist. My first semester in medical school was gross anatomy. So I was assigned a tutor named Ned Hughes, who was an orthopedic surgeon who did a lot of hand surgery. He was a great teacher. He was a lot of fun to be around. And I just fell in love with orthopedics and particularly with hand surgery. That's how I ended up here. Wow. That's an awesome journey. So You're in New York finishing your fellowship and you somehow get to central Pennsylvania. Tell me about how that transition came to be and any challenges that you maybe faced along the way with life or starting a practice. I had a job lined up in New Jersey and there were just some things about it that just didn't seem right. I wasn't going to click with this guy. So I started looking at other opportunities and I was contacted by a recruiter about this place I'd never heard of and the opportunity itself seemed right practice I was looking for was someone who was an established practice of someone who was older, looking to take on a young associate for a couple of years and then retire. And then I would have the practice to mold as I saw fit. And that was exactly what there was in Altoona. Being a somewhat brash New Yorker coming to a place like Altoona, there were adjustments that went on for quite some time in in integrating into the community, professionally, whatever. But it turned out to be a good opportunity. I thought I would do a little hand and mostly general orthopedics, and I did for a short time. But once I started taking partners and whatever, I ended up doing more and more hand surgery. I was the only hand surgeon for 100 miles in any direction for about 20 years, which meant that I was always on call. And I did a lot of hand surgery. A number of the things you just said really resonated with me and I think will resonate with a lot of the residents and early career surgeons. The first thing being you get into practice and your spidey senses are tingling and you found the right fit, especially with the stat of 50% of people leaving their first job within a few years. That's really interesting. And I enjoyed the part about obviously being a brash New Yorker. I'm from Pittsburgh myself. 
seems like you've integrated well and obviously enjoyed your time there. So I heard another interesting story from some of the interviews that you had done previously about a mentor within your practice about how they convinced you to get involved with advocacy and go to a Pennsylvania state meeting. So can you tell us about how that catalyzed the rest of your advocacy career? He was my employer for a couple of years and then he retired, but we were on call every other week. And he said, I got somebody to cover our call. You're going to the Pennsylvania Medical Society with me this weekend. So I went and I had a good time. I thought that the discussions were interesting. The policy considerations were interesting. So the next year he again took me And at that meeting, somebody tapped on my shoulder and said, we'd like you to be part of the AMA delegation. I didn't know anything about the AMA at that point, but I really got hooked on the breadth and the depth of knowledge of people at the AMA on all sorts of issues. As far as getting into advocacy is concerned, in 1988, which was two years after I started in practice, we had a liability insurance crisis in Pennsylvania. The cost of liability insurance was going through the roof, and I thought that I needed to do something about it. OPGYN, vascular surgeons, trauma surgeons, and neurosurgeons, as well as orthopedics, that was the group that was going to be affected, and all of them were going to start leaving Pennsylvania because we couldn't get insurance. So I thought that the story that I could tell would be better and more inclusive if I did it under the broader tent of organized medicine rather than specifically organized orthopedics. So I started with that, and that led to more advocacy on other things and more involvement in other things. I happened to be in a situation where I was at dinner with the chairman of a large delegation to the Pennsylvania Medical Society, and he was also the Speaker of the House. He ended up being president, but at that point, he was Speaker of the Pennsylvania House of Delegates, Pennsylvania Medical Society. So we went out to dinner, and he actually took me under his wing and shepherded me to become Vice Speaker of the Pennsylvania House. And at that point, it turns out that I am really good at presiding over a deliberative assembly, which is what the House of Delegates is. It's a little bit of a high wire act. You have to have a feel for parliamentary procedure. You've got to be able to crack a joke when you need to break some tension, but you also have to be respectful of everybody. And then later down the road, the Pennsylvania Medical Society people came to me and said, we want to run you for the AMA because we think you'd be good there. I was elected in 2007. I was elected vice speaker of the AMA House of Delegates. And in 2015, I was elected president-elect and just had a ball doing it. That's fantastic. It's interesting to just hear how the different stones along the path led you there. Exactly right. Had I not been at that dinner, who knows? At the start of my career, I never set out to be a leader, to be in organized medicine, to just, you know, I just wanted to do orthopedics, hand surgery, and raise a family. And thinking about that, obviously becoming the AMA president is a huge honor. And there's only ever been two orthopedic surgeons to ever be an AMA president. For people that maybe that want to be involved in leadership, how do you get involved? And how do you climb that ladder? And just maybe some characteristics of leadership that were important for you in progressing along that path. So the first orthopedic surgeon to be president of the AMA was actually not an orthopedic surgeon. His name was Louis Sayre. He was the first professor of orthopedics in the United States. He was at Bellevue. He had an interest in Pott's disease, tuberculosis of the spine, and scoliosis. The first professional organization of orthopedics was founded in 1877. Sayre was president of the AMA seven years before that. So he was an interesting guy. I told you I never set out to be a leader. There were just issues that I thought needed attention 
and it turns out that I enjoyed the process of talking to legislators, of crafting policy, and one thing led to another. And the unfortunate thing is that in these leadership positions, either in orthopedics or in other parts of organized medicine, in the Orthopedic Academy, in the Pennsylvania Medical Society, the AMA, there's a lot of people who are clamoring for those leadership roles. And it becomes harder and harder because it's a true pyramid. Even more interesting and miraculous that you ended up where you are. As surgeons, we're obviously very busy within our own practices, our families, doing research, but I wanted to get your thoughts on physician advocacy and why it's so important. Thank you for that question, because that really is the key to why I wanted to come talk to you. I think that advocacy needs to be looked at as a professional responsibility as much as maintaining the currency and reading the literature and staying up on new techniques. Advocacy is incredibly important. It is important for ourselves, and it is also important for our patients. I'll give you a couple of examples. It doesn't do any good if you write a prescription for somebody and they can't afford the medicine so they don't take it. This is more of a concern for primary care, but it's also a concern for us as orthopedists. We don't treat everything surgically. And even if we do treat things surgically, people got to be able to afford their post-op pain medicine. We are the ones who can go to the legislature and advocate on behalf of our patients and tell these stories. I never let my practice close during my three years in the presidential cycle because I wanted the gravitas to be able to sit in front of a congressional committee, which I did, and say to them, this is an important idea or this is a bad idea because this is the implication for my patients. The way that you do it as a young surgeon is that wherever you go, establish a relationship with your local politicians. It's easy to do. You go to a fundraiser or you go to their office and you introduce yourself and say, hi, I'm Andy Gurman. I just moved to Altoona. I want to raise my family here. I want to build a life here. I just wanted to meet you and to let you know that if you ever need some information in the health area, I'll be happy to find it for you. And don't forget your local politicians. This is not just your congressman that you do this with because your local state rep or senator could very well end up your congressman real quick. And you do that over the course of five years or 10 years or however it is. And then when there is a true issue, you have a relationship. You can walk into somebody. You may be on a first name basis and you can say, all right, now I got something I need to talk to you about. I need your support. And this is why. That is so incredibly important for our profession, for our patients, and that's the way you do it. You mentioned as you get into a place and you establish yourself, how did you balance advocacy, your practice, as well as your personal life? I have a very understanding wife and a very understanding family. It's hard. You have to make time for it, but I don't know that you can end up being AMA president if you make very little time for it. Not everybody should aspire to that. But I think we make time for staying current. We make time for reading journals. We make time for going and getting CME and going to meetings or whatever. This is something that you have to make time for. Yeah, it's important to you personally as well as your patients. So that's great. And, you know, if you make that initial contact, then the next time that you do advocacy, maybe when you're sitting in the same bleachers as your local state representative whose kids are also on the same ball field as your kids or in the same swimming pool or at your church or civic organization or whatever it is. So that's also the way you maintain these relationships by being part of the community. Now, I have to ask you, if you had a do-over, is there anything that you would do differently, whether in your career or home life? 
I tell my kids all the time, you don't know if it would have been better. You only know it would have been different had I made different choices. I guess almost like any professional, I wish I had spent more time with my family. I have a wonderful family. I have a wonderful relationship with them. I guess the only thing I truly wish is that I had said no a little bit more often. I told you I was the only hand surgeon for 100 miles in any direction for 20 years, and I never said no. And that made me very tired. I think considering what we now know about mental health and personal well-being and whatever, I probably should have set some boundaries and said, well, I'll do this 15 nights a month or 20 nights a month, but I won't do it every night. Understandable, for sure. Are there any accomplishments that you look at in your career and you're most proud of them? I've had a lot of surgical triumphs, and those are always fun to reflect on. Obviously, having had the honor of serving as AMA president is incredibly cool. It's hard to top that, so I'll leave it at that. How about your best day, getting something pushed across Congress or operatively? What would you say your best day has been? I took care of a kid early on in my practice who had a radial club hand, and I got to him late. Usually, you try to get to these kids at age two, but he came to me at age four. His mother was a nurse, and I had to do a couple of procedures. At first, I had to centralize the wrist, and then he came back, and we did a polycization. I rotated his index finger around and made a thumb, put a pin in it. He comes back for visits at six weeks or whatever it was. We pull the pin. I send him out, and his mother calls me a couple hours later in tears. She says, he's sucking his thumb. That was my best day. Wow. Yeah. To be able to do that is an incredible gift. Unbelievable gift. In closing out our interview now, I know most people... It's really difficult to acknowledge Throne Legacy, and obviously we've acknowledged the, the number of things you've done being AMA president in practice for 30 and I will say maybe 40 years now. Yeah, I got into practice in 86, so... We're getting there. Yeah, we're getting there. What would you say you want your legacy to be if you could acknowledge it for us? I've been given a gift to be a member of an incredibly wonderful profession, and I think what all of this work has been about is trying to nurture and sustain that. You know, if you think about it, one of the most intimate things that somebody can do is come to you and say, care for me. I have been privileged to be an intimate part of people's lives. As orthopedic surgeons, we don't always think of it that way. But if you listen, people will really give themselves to you. And we make a tremendous difference in their lives. And it has just been an absolute privilege to be part of that. That's amazing. In closing it out, can you give us your one best piece of advice or maybe a life lesson for the early career surgeon or someone like me, a resident? The two best pieces of advice that I got were both from Martin Posner, who was my fellowship director. The first one I'll give you was actually very recent. He said, you know, when you finish your fellowship or your residency, whatever you do is correct. As long as you've thought about it and made a conscious decision as to why you're doing this, then it's correct. may not work out, but it's correct. And I thought that was really affirming. But the best piece of advice that he ever gave me, on the last day of my fellowship, he came up to me and he said, the worst reason in the world to invest in anything is because another doctor tells you it's a good idea. That advice has saved my butt on more than one occasion when some members of the medical community have put their arms around me and say, Andy, we need you in this one. That's great. Dr. German, thank you so much for being on the show with us. It was a pleasure talking to you. And I know our listeners are going to get a lot out of this podcast. From everybody from the AOS, the Resident Assembly, thank you again. And it's been a pleasure talking with you and hopefully safe travels back to Pennsylvania. Me too. Thank you very much. 
To learn about all of AAOS legislative priorities and to send pre-written letters to your representatives on our most important issues, go to the AOS Action Advocacy Center at aos.org slash advocacy. Thank you for listening to this episode of the AOS Career Podcast, part of the Bombi Orthopedic Podcast channel. For more information on this topic and to hear other conversations on professional development, please visit aos.org forward slash the bone beat.